0: I think
1: he's medically unfit to be president. I think he's morally unfit to be president.
0: No collusion, no obstruction. He's a leaker. Look, he's a showboat. He's a grandstander.
1: I don't think we're surprised by the fact that uh, James Comey continues to uh, spread false information.
0: Uh, The guy's known to be a liar and a leaker, and so there's not a lot about James Comey that we would find to be very surprising. I hardly know the man. I'm not going to say, I want you to pledge allegiance. Who would do that? Who would ask a man to pledge allegiance under oath?
1: Comey's higher loyalty is pretty clear that it's only to himself. He's a leaker. The dossier is false opposition research that was funded by the Clinton campaign to attack the president. It was used illegally to justify spying on Americans. is
2: going on. <laughs> it's mob rule, Nick. It's mob rule.
1: <laughs> uh, Teflon Don. He's not doing too well this week. <laughs> I love the intro, by the way. That was, that was a good choice. <laughs> Welcome back, guys. Early, early this week. Yes. It's farceful politics. I'm still your host, Nick McGuire, uh, joined by uh, Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi hey guys hey, hey nick hey, hey phil hey guys <laughs> hey. uh before we get started shameless plugs uh if you like the podcast uh or want to share it with somebody uh you can uh find us on facebook uh, at barstool politics twitter at barstool Paul, pol check out the beers that we try on the untapped app on ios or android the podcast you can find on soundcloud and itunes and google play music and Stitcher and Spreaker and everywhere else where you can find a podcast pretty much except Spotify because they're being dicks about it. <laughs> um, I'm sure this will help. Yeah, well, you know. For, so the process for putting something on Spotify is you fill out a Google form. Hmm. But that's it. Nothing. Just It's, it's it. In case, for all you aspiring podcast people. They don't really care. Um, I'm just going down a road there. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so lots lots of lots of dumpster fires to uh talk about um I guess we talk about the interview and the fact that Comey is clearly a a slime ball and a leaker and um <laughs> a liar. I, obviously just about a piece of shit so Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all of that.
2: <laughs> so all of us who follow politics know that last night was ABC's much-anticipated interview with former FBI director James Comey. The interview was part of Comey's publicity tour for his book. He's also on The View on Wednesday. Oh, God. So, oh boy. Yeah, I know. Uh, the televised part of the interview was an hour, but it made for some pretty stunning television. Uh, Mr. Comey called Trump a serial liar who treated women like meat and described him as a stain on everyone who worked for him. That's brutal.
1: Yeah.
2: There, was an awkward, there was awkward talk of President Trump and Comey discussing the allegations he had cavorted with peeing prostitutes in Moscow. <laughs> he compared Trump to a mafia boss and suggested that he is incinerating the country's long-standing democratic norms like a wildfire. He said, quote, Our president must embody respect and adhere to the values that are at the core of this country, the most important being truth. The president is not able to do that. He is morally unfit to be president. Ouch. It was a powerful attack on the very character of the president. Not surprising. Uh, Trump did not take this well in sitting down. Over the last couple of days, he and his press secretary and other Republican operatives have targeted Comey, suggesting he is. He, it is he who is truly corrupt. In particular, Trump called him an untruthful slimeball. So <laughs> Going even further, the president suggested Comey himself has committed crimes and should be prosecuted. We find ourselves in truly uncharted territory here, gentlemen. So reactions to the Trump-Comey wars. Phil, you watched. What, what, what was your sort of preliminary reaction to, to the spectacle?
0: Um, I I watched the whole thing. Um, I guess there were <laughs> – Nick, you sent the article earlier today. Yeah. I guess the original interview was like five hours long. That's crazy. And they've edited it down. That's mm. insane. Um, I, you know, I there – Maybe this is telling about where we are. I, there wasn't anything that was that surprising to me in the interview. Um, the 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 stuff that Comey says, it it seems like we knew. All of it already. Um, the story of you know the first meeting that they had. The the ask that you know that Trump asked him to to pledge loyalty to him. The embrace at the in the blue room in the White House. Yeah. Like uh, how he got fired. Like all of that story that we 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 went through all of that already. So in, in a lot of ways the 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 story here is the um, I don't know the extra. Uh, you know, the icing that Comey puts on it, these statements that he thinks that the president is morally unfit for office, um, that, you know, that, the, the thing that he talked about, the, I, the thing that I came away, away with was the first point he made in the interview was one that we've made for a long time on here, that the the real issue here is norms, right? That what is happening is that Trump is eroding norms of decency, of politics, how we do politics, particularly he was concerned about truth. So... Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's part of me that thinks there wasn't anything all that surprising here. There's another part of me that thinks that when the former fired FBI director goes on national TV and says the president is morally unfit for office is huge. And I I can't, I can't figure out which, you know, which I, I go back and forth. I don't know which is the, is more accurate. I had a very
2: similar reaction when I watched it last night, I was waiting for bombshells. I was waiting for all these stories and you're right. It. It didn't happen. He elaborated on much of what we already knew, whether it was the Clinton email issue or, like you said, the the various interactions, which mo- most most of which we'd heard about in, in testimony. And I found myself afterwards saying, "Well, that was a little anticlimactic." And then I thought more about it, and in many ways, this is what I think we've been asking for, which is a, a an official who's in the center of power, you know, Comey, who's there for all the conversations, actually coming out and saying the things. That we've wanted other officials to say, others who have are on the inside to say it's as bad as you think it is. He really is immoral. He's corrupt. He didn't say he's a stupid guy. He said he's you know above a- average intelligence, but that he is self centered. He's unethical. He's not truthful. Uh, and to speak truth to the public, uh, we always talk about speaking truth to power. It's I was it was refreshing to see somebody say. Here's what's really going on on the inside and we should all be concerned.
1: Yeah. buy my book though, 2 That's days right. after that.
2: That's right.
0: I that is a good does is his so is his credibility on that point, Bill? This I I think you're right. Like yes. we 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 want people to speak out, but it does, you know, I'm I've kind of lean Nick's way a little bit. Like what he's saying is maybe true and we, yeah. we were glad he said it, but to wait months until your book comes out to finally say this mm. is a little I don't know, it undermines the, it makes me a, I don't know, a little less um, eager to you know stand up and give a standing ovation for this guy. Sure, but that's what all of them do
2: though. They leave, they write books uh, so I guess, I don't know, I, I don't hold them accountable for that I, I, I am mm. t- torn a little bit on He's so good, right? I mean, he comes across, he said truth over and over and over again. I mean, he is is a truth teller, or at least he tries to portray himself. Is he really that good? No. But, (laughs) no. (laughs) No, he's not. All
1: right, so here's my take on the whole thing. Yeah. So I was sitting down ready to watch the interview last night, ready to go, 9 o'clock rolls around. I I fell asleep. I was a tired panda. And then I woke up at like 9.15, and I was going to turn it on, I go, I like I'm I knew I was not going to hear anything Mm -hmm. new and I was going to hear everything that had happened, you know, uh, two seconds after waking up the next morning. There were not going to be any bombshells because we would have heard it if there was anything, a, a salient point to make about Russian collusion or, you know, evidence of, of election tampering or something like that or real improprieties as part of the administration, we would have heard about it. This was a press tour. He said nothing that we did not know already. And the fact that you're going to talk about someone being, you know, morally unfit to be the president, I, the fact that you went out and did this two days before your book comes out and in a time frame of when, when was he fired? It was what, six months ago? I it's been a while. West, it's been a while, yeah. Something, regardless. Yeah. Absolutely, people in these types of positions and situations do write books. They don't do it in such a salacious and kind of personal soap opera He's a Boy Scout, Nick. <laughs> ...really not tactful way. Like, I, I understand if his entire point was, you know, this is about the foundation of, of democracy in this country and, you know, making sure our institutions are strong and making sure that people don't feel disillusioned and we, we need to, you know, stay together as a, a people and a culture and a country and, and move past this and, you're right, speak truth to power. It was not that. It was about the length of his tie and the fact that it looked like he was in a tanning bed like two days beforehand. And the, the P tape and all, like, it's just... This garbage that we already heard—it was the same thing as fire and fury. Like, there's no substance to it. I think it's—I think it's—it certainly was some of that because he does apparently does talk about the ties
2: and the eyes, and he describes Donald Trump's little hands, and those may have been mistakes that undermine his credibility. But I think at a deeper point, it is also about leadership and democracy and norms. So I think he's doing both, and maybe the former undermines the latter, but. This isn't fire and fury. I feel like this is this is different. He's he's in a different category. Uh, I did
1: not see a lot of substance to it. Yeah. And if you're going to talk about the moral ambiguity or or moral, moracle. Uh, oh, moracle wow. wow, I like that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the uh, moral inability of uh, a person in power, I, I don't think you can find one president in the past four or five that you could say was – Morally ethical in a lot of their treatment of either domestic policy or international policy. He may be a piece of shit personally. Trump. Trump. Yeah, absolutely. I I. when it comes to policy and whatnot, I don't think he's any different than a lot of other presidents that have come before him. I disagree. You can rebut. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Phil. I,
0: I don't want to make an argument that previous presidents have been wonderful, upstanding people, but I do think that, that there is a spectrum, and I do think he's pretty far down the spectrum. I he's, agree. I think he's, he is worse than previous. Not that previous presidents were spotless or great, but I, I do think he's of a different... Ilk? If Yeah, if <laughs> not a different kind, at least a different degree. <laughs> yes. so. um, I do think he's of a different kind. Um, I, so... I go back and forth on so the the. Tell me how I should feel about this. So James Comey, um, (laughs) I I, I do want to applaud. There's this part of me that agrees with you, Bill. That that he is saying, you know, he's coming out and say he he could just go live his life or whatever. He's picking a fight with the president. He's talking about these things that he. In theory, if we give him the benefit of the doubt, you know, he's he's standing up for truth and he needs to criti- criticize the president and what's happening. But much of his story and much of the interview last night was a story of him not doing that mm-hmm. at the appropriate time, right? When the president says, I think you, you know, you should, uh, you know, back off of uh, Flynn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, back off of Flynn or um, I want you to pledge your loyalty. That's the time to speak truth to power, yeah. not eight months later on a book tour and so i i, I don't want to hold too high of a standard because i know that in that moment when you're talking to the president of the united states that you know what he's thinking which he talks about what he was thinking you know, just get through this moment um I, I i'm sympathetic to that but i don't know are we should we not give him are we giving him too much credit for saying it now when the time to do it was when when the situation was happening?
2: No, I think that's that's a fair critique as well. And and it was interesting that Stephanopoulos, Stephanopoulos pushed him on both those points and uh, it's easy to forget. I mean, I think you're right, Phil. In that moment, you're with the president. It could be intimidating. But he's the director of the FBI, right? I mean, this is a guy who's is not supposed to be intimidated by these moments. Uh, and he did. He said, well, I, it just didn't occur to me or I was you know, thinking about something else. And, and I, I found myself thinking, Robert Mueller, if he was in that position, I, I think Robert Mueller would tell him, Mr. President, you can't say that to me. And, and he would coach him up, even if, it, even if he knew that Trump was... Trump knew that what he was doing was wrong, still to say that and draw that line. And Comey doesn't do that. And I think that's it's a flaw of his that he could have pushed back at an earlier point.
0: I I don't I don't want I would have caved way worse than Comey, I'm sure. (laughs) But I I do like when he wasn't he says he didn't think in that moment to say that. But he did think in that moment that as soon as I leave here, I need to write notes of this meeting. So he, he knew in the moment that it was inappropriate Um, and so I, I don't know. There's, there's something about it that, and we've talked about this when, when this story broke months ago, we, we talked about whether or not Comey was his goal. And and he talked about this in the interview in ways that I I thought were sort of convincing. His goal was to do the right thing in terms of the FBI, right? Doing what, what he thought the, the FBI should be doing, what was in the best interest of the FBI and all of that. Uh, but it also feels a little bit like he was doing what was in the best interest of James Comey. Right.
2: Yeah, I think that those could both be true.
1: <laughs> Nick, <laughs> no, I, I mean, he, I, I get what you guys are saying, and I, I, yeah, I, I want to like it. Like he comes off as, like a, a likable guy, okay. and, and what who, he should be a trustworthy guy and clearly a professional guy. He just whether you're talking about Trump or you're talking about Uh, Clinton and the emails and the server and all that, he didn't, there was no good, he didn't provide a good solution to any of these problems. He chose these bizarre things based on some internal logic of what he thought was best, not necessarily what was objectively better or followed procedure and policy that was already in place. This was something that he kind of internalized on his own, and then he just came off like an asshole to both sides. I I, I don't know.
2: It, for me, it's, it'll be interesting to see. So starting, let's see, was it Friday, Trump begins the, the slime campaign, right, where he's trying to pull Comey down to his level. And... It feels like it's working a little bit. And I I think in a credibility battle, Comey still wins this. I think the public still sees him as more credible than Trump. But Trump has a really good job. I mean, Comey says he stains everybody. And I think he's stained Comey to some degree as well. All the tweets, the attacks, the, you know, slippery James Comey, the liar, the leaker, all of that is has some effect, don't we think?
1: no no <laughs> <laughs> you don't think
2: trump's attacks and tweaks are, are, are tweaks tweets are hurt comey at all or you think he can i mean who is
1: the perception of comey yeah but i mean f- uh, from whose perspective like the people who think he's a scumball or sc- scumball slimeball slime ball. slimeball we're just combining lots of yes. different words tonight <laughs> um I-, I i think this is another example of what we talk about every freaking episode it's it's opposition politics, and you're preaching to the converted. I don't think you're going to change that many opinions mm-hmm. on this. So, uh, plenty of Democrats hate him because of what he did to sure. the Clinton campaign. Pretty much every Republican hates him at this point. So I, I don't know what camp he really yeah. can, you know, truth turn to. Camp.
0: <laughs> no, I, th- I think you're right. The extent he is in some ways a case study in partisanship and the, and the extent to which he was the most hated man on the left and loved by the right in, you know, just prior to the election and then mm-hmm. after the election, when the investigation turns to Russia, suddenly he's the most loved man on the left and the most hated man on the right. Right? This is it, doing essentially, you know, the same thing throughout, trying to do his job in, in ways that, you know... It, uh, are, are there's questions about whether he did it appropriately in, in, in both cases. But, yeah, the extent to which, you know, people love James Comey and how widely that has swung tells us something about how people view their, you know, how they take their news, how they take their facts.
2: I'm somewhat surprised that, what, did we get one tweet from Trump today? Uh, he didn't tweet last night. He He's got a
1: lot going on. I, I, he
2: does. <laughs> but usually this, I, I wonder, I'm i sure he probably watched. Maybe he watched and thought, I thought this was going to be way worse and yeah. it wasn't so bad. Uh yeah, yeah, it is it's a it's a fun narrative to see play out. But
1: but that's I mean like Trump isn't going to refute him on any of the, you know, supposedly salient points. Trump would only get upset because Comey doesn't like him or calls him an idiot yeah. or thinks he's morally unfit to do something. Right. It has nothing to do with the facts at all. So why, like, I there's nothing there's nothing to listen to here. No,
2: I guess the one thing for me that was and why we went with that intro is the way that Comey described him as. A mob boss. Mm-hmm. That I think that's that was great. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. not you know, and he says not that Trump is breaking legs and kneecaps and stuff, but that the way he's structured power, it's all about loyalty. He's at the center. And it reminded him of his days of, of going against uh, mob bosses over the years. And you know, it just that
1: sounds like so much more fun that way, though, the, doesn't
2: it? <laughs> it? does. But it's suggestive about where the where the political system is shifted or where the executive <laughs> branch is, that the head of the FBI says, Boy, this feels a lot like the mob. Yeah.
0: Um oh. So um, I imagine there's a lot that Comey can't talk about, right? There's there's stuff that, you know, ongoing investigations and whatnot that he just couldn't. So some of the questions, I I don't know how much stock to put in some of the questions about collusion or the, you know, the BB tape or whatever, (laughs) Uh, you know, obstruction of justice. I feel like he's limited in what he can say. Having said that, his prescription going forward was that, he didn't think, and I, I thought this point was really interesting. He didn't, he, he hoped that impeachment was not the yes, route forward yes. because he thought this is where he got into the discussion about Trump being morally, um, well, morally, I was going to say incompatible, but what's the, uh, what Unf- were say? saying? Un- uh, unfit, uh, yeah. Morally unfit, um, to be president. His, his argument essentially was that impeachment was a criminal issue. And that his critiques of the president had to do with with norms and ethics and, and you know, leadership and truth and all of those sorts of things. And that he thought impeachment essentially gave the American yeah. people an easy way out, um, that the man is morally unfit for office. And the way you solve that is by voting him out of office, yes. right, by the people coming together and deciding that this is unacceptable. Mm. Um, I thought that was sort of intriguing. Yeah. Um, I You know, it's a it's an interesting Argument. I don't know how much of that has to do with the fact that he can't talk about the legal stuff sure. that might fall on the impeachment side. But um, yeah, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? I, you know, there are a couple things. One, the,
2: the way in which he was answering those questions, it made me feel like there wasn't as much criminal activity as we get a sense listening to all the Mueller material. I mean, he, he even at one point said, I'm not sure whether he – I mean, he may have committed obstruction of justice, but he didn't speak to Russia. And it's either because he can't or maybe there wasn't enough there. Maybe there isn't anything there. Uh, he was also
0: he was also fired before the Mueller investigation ever started. Well, that, so that's there's right. a lot of stuff that's probably come out that uh, he didn't know about. That's exactly right, that he isn't privy to. But yeah, to that deeper point of
2: is it – up to the people themselves to make these decisions and to to not reelect or to vote him out of office. I thought that was really compelling. Uh, we all you know a lot of us who don't like Trump we feel like oh we should impeach him and I don't know that does feel like an easy way out where it should be up to the people to make a good decision and if you make a bad decision, maybe you should have to live with that person for four years and then think more about who you're gonna elect next time mm-hmm. um, no I was I was surprised by that because I would have thought given that question he would say, well, it's not my call, but if the Congress, you know, moves in that direction, it appears there may have been criminal uh, conduct. Uh, yeah, he he, it was a very creative response. So. Yeah,
0: to say that he hoped that impeachment wasn't the route. Yes, mm. um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he his his point is totally valid. It it is a totally separate question from impeachment. Whether he deserves to be impeached, as we've talked about, yeah, is kind of this legal and political question. Um, uh, I, not you know that regardless of that. The, the point he's making, I think, is valid. I think there are yeah. a lot of people on the left or people who ha- who are upset with Trump who are placing their hope in this, right? Yes. And the fi- idea that Mueller will do something. And, you know, maybe he will, but maybe he won't. If you have a problem with the the sort of ethical aspects, the the rhetoric, the tone of the Trump administration, mm. that's not Mueller's to solve, right? Yeah. That's the American people's to yep. solve.
2: And short of some clear evidence of direct criminal activity, it's probably going to come back to that where we say, well, he made some poor decisions, the president. Uh, and that might not be enough for impeachment, and it may simply go back to re-election.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to go on the record still as saying that there's going to be clear evidence that Trump committed a crime. That's going to happen. That doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that he'll be impeached, and it doesn't mean that the American people don't have an obligation from their end for, to stand up for uh, the norms and values that they expect.
1: Fair enough. Uh, Do you think that this, this type of... Uh, media focus on these characters coming out of this administration or any administration going forward. I I guess we're talking about this particular administration. Do you think it stopped? He was the main figure of this whole drama, but then we see these other ancillary characters kind of come in and do interviews that everyone's really interested in. Do you think it stops with this or did this just open the floodgates for anyone who comes out of that administration to immediately write a book and then start doing, you know, a press junket. I would expect more books. I don't know if any of them will be like Comey.
2: I mean, Comey had such a adversarial relationship, was investigating the president, so that creates a unique dynamic. But I wouldn't be surprised if, I don't know, I mean, Rex is too tired to write a book, but somebody's going to mean I don't know, Sean Spicer, I guess. Can he even read? I don't
1: know. Um, oh, come <laughs> so, on, I'm Just kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I just worry that this is we're putting too much stock in what these this cast of characters is going to say going forward without if we start conflating and and confusing real hard-hitting points and you know evidence and you know real real evidence of collusion or misappropriation of funds or something like that with personal characteristics mm-hmm. and what could have been said and this back and forth between these two characters regardless of who they are i think that's really worris- worrisome especially when it comes to trying to convince the sure. american public to think one way or another sure. it's i i i don't like the road that we're going
2: well on. and i will say like I, in previous administrations you see them write books like this and you know it's a couple day story and they move on so we'll see whether this has more legs or not mm-hmm. phil you were going to say something
0: well, I mean, this is what you were—I think—you were getting at this uh, earlier, Bill. But I, this is the power of Trump to bring to to bring the former FBI director into this sort of one-on-one name-calling, sort of sniping. I don't think he's moral. I don't think he's moral. Sort of a debate. I, I think that again 20 years ago certainly 40 years ago a former FBI director writing this book would have it would have been you know that would have it would have been hugely scandalous and it feels like it's scandalous in a 2018 sort of way and right. like a you know a gossip magazine yeah. kind of way and to some in some ways that's the power of Trump, right? Sure. As it, it, or not, not just Trump. In some ways, Trump is the product of this—the the sort of um, you know, the the regression of our, uh, you know, of the the tone of our discourse in politics. Yes.
2: Uh, no, I think that those are those are important points. So we know.
0: How, yeah. How, how are we doing on time? We should probably move on. Is there are anything before, else we want to hit on? Yeah. Yeah. One more thing that I want to say. The end of that interview, um, he's asked. I, I don't remember the exact question. What are you doing next? And Comey talks about how he's gonna travel around. He's gonna give some speeches. He's gonna teach about leadership and how to be a good leader and to <laughs> lead by. And I thought, it, the instant he said it, I thought he's running for office. Oh. What, what do you What do you think the chances are that that James Comey throws his hat in the ring for at some point? The way he talked for for president so, for Congress no, for something for what party? <laughs> Oh, well, that I don't know. He, although he talked about how he, his whole family wanted Hillary Clinton to win.
1: And but he's he a long-standing he Republican. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would who assume for vote. the Republican. Yes. I, yeah. I don't think anybody would take him at this point. I think he's fucking radioactive.
2: He wait a few years. He could run for Congress uh, and see. He's a bit awkward. I, I mean, he's a thoughtful uh, a guy who pays attention to the details. But I think if, if he, a few years go
0: by. I, I didn't think about that. He is inserting himself into national discourse about leadership mm-hmm. and what the president should be in ways that if like the natural thing would be, I don't, I don't know, to, to speak out, to write, to write a book, I, I don't know, to just disappear at some, yeah. in some, and he's like actively keeping himself a part of national discourse. I had never thought of it. And somehow in that answer, I, it just, I thought he's, he's sure. thinking down the road. That's a good question. George should ask that. Yeah. yeah, he would have said, he would have said, right no, now, no, no, at this
2: point, I'm too focused on leadership I, I, and truth telling. We'll I, I just, don't, I don't
1: think he's done. I think he'll be back at some point. I, I, I don't see it happening. I, he just doesn't <laughs> have the character. He just seems so, I don't know, to me, he just came off very kind of self-centered. Um, have, you, have
0: you met our current president? Yeah, <laughs>
1: I, I know. But if we're going to get away from that, uh, it's, it's a, it's a it just came off as kind of a smarmy self-centeredness as opposed to a brash idiotic self-centeredness. <laughs> but he's when you're a, he's a boy scout. He is a boy scout, but when you're quoted as saying, "I remember saying that I'm a little bit tired of being the independent voice on things." Like mm-hmm. it just it sounds like I have the answers yeah. and you people don't know what the fuck you're talking about. There's and I had eight years of that. There. I don't need that again. Yeah, that's true.
2: <laughs> All right, let's transition to our second topic, uh, the attack on Syria. So on Friday evening, warplanes and ships from the United States, Britain, and France launched more than 100 missiles at three chemical weapons storage Ooh, and yeah, research facilities near Damascus. Uh, President Trump and the Pentagon leaders hailed as a success. Uh, President Tw- uh, Trump tweeted it was, quote, a perfectly executed strike and... Invoking George W. Bush tweeted, mission accomplished. Uh The Defense Department was worried, uh, deeply worried about the potential of drawing the U.S. into a deeper conflict by striking Russian-Iranian forces. Russia condemned the attack and promised that there would be consequences. All in all, it's not entirely clear what the U.S. or Trump sees as the U.S.'s long-term strategic interest in Syria uh, and what we are to make of all of this. So this is, is getting a lot of domestic hype. I think people in general are pleased with the response. Which is what happened in the previous time. so so Phil what uh, what are you thinking about Syria?
0: Um, I'll go back to what we talked about last week, yeah. which is that I don't know that this accomplished uh, you know I should say I should pause for a second. I, I don't think this accomplished anything other than to make a public statement. but to hold myself accountable, what I said last week is that the international community needed to jointly say and do something. so yeah. I give the Trump administration a lot of credit for going out, and I, I don't know if they were the ones who did this or if it came from the French and the British, but whatever. The fact that it was actually more than the U.S., that they were making this statement, that they acted, you know, decisively, there's something to be praised in all of that, I think. My concern is in the American love of the airstrike, in which no Americans are put in harm's way. I mean, I shouldn't say that. The pilots are while they, although I don't, I don't know, you know, Anyway. Um, No troops, you know, no ground troops are there. We're going to throw some explosives from a distance and and, you know, sit back and be proud of ourselves. And uh, am I glad that that Syrian chemical weapons facilities have been destroyed? Yeah, Um, I, I don't. This, again, I don't know what this accomplishes. Mm-hmm. I don't know what this does. I, I don't know. Am, am I am I too cynical about no, 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 it? Not no, not at all. So
1: here, uh, let me. I'm, I actually have some color on on how this all went down. So apparently, Trump was on a phone call with Theresa May of Britain, uh, and when the thought came through of um, originally uh, doing the air uh, um, expelling the Russian diplomats prior to this, and then the airstrikes. Uh, He asked, why are you trying to make me do this? And then said when uh, they were going to expel the diplomats, Trump said, we're going to do exactly the same as um, France and England. No more. We're not going to lead, which they agreed to. And then he found out that the collective combined total that the Europeans expelled was as much as the uh, United States did in total, which he was furious about. Because we did 60, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, and then with the airstrikes, I guess it was something similar. They promised more of an involvement than they actually did, and he was furious about it again. Um, and then I found out earlier this morning that the Syrian Air Force is already up and running again. They're flying yep. sorties yeah, around the country, yeah. and this really didn't accomplish anything.
2: It, it was symbolic. That at, at its core, it was about reinforcing this norm of not using chemical weapons, which maybe matters a little bit to Assad as he's thinking about how he moves forward and maybe he says, I will, I'm going to move away from chemical weapons, but it doesn't stop him from using barrel bombs and any other kind of conventional weapons. Mm-hmm. It's not that he's killing people. It's just in those handful of ins- uh, instances when he used chemical weapons, we said that's going too far. So, yeah, I don't think this fundamentally changes anything on the ground. It doesn't change the prospects of Assad staying in power. No, nothing changes. No. Um,
1: th- Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I was just gonna say they clearly knew where the chemical weapon depots and um facilities were. Why why would they allow that to even exist at this point? After the previous attack, after everything that's gone on gone on over the past five years, how do you let that stand considering the just evilness yeah. and and um ease of use that, that they've that the Syrian regime has put on using these weapons—it's—it's it's insane. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, this did not sit well with
0: me. Yeah, this is—I I feel like we've talked about this in the past as well. Uh, so forgive me for repeating myself, but this is a very American reaction in—in in that, um, I. Maybe it's not. Maybe I maybe I'm overstating it. But this tendency to get upset about something and to launch some airstrikes and to feel good about it. Uh, This idea that we want to feel powerful and that we've done something, um, but we're not really willing to pay any real cost. If we really think that the use of chemical weapons on children is appalling then we should do more than bomb some chemical weapons factories right we should do something but i i don't think on the other hand if it's not worth sending in american troops and doing all of this then i I i don't know i mean i is there a happy medium is there something that we can do that is it I mean, it seems like in some ways we're saying that we should just give up and let Syria use chemical weapons. That doesn't seem like the right solution. No, there has to be some response. And I think that's why the strikes were
2: useful. But, again, useful in a way of reinforcing a norm. But that's it. Uh, There's no strategic initiative of pushing Assad out or anything other than bombing ISIS. I mean, that still is the case. that We're still going after ISIS. But if you don't reinforce that norm, then it becomes more okay to use chemical weapons. But this, yeah, this... I don't think there is that there isn't a military solution here
1: I mean there has to be so, and I this is the thing I I there probably isn't at this point a lot of strategic value left in Syria <laughs> Russia has some with ports and whatnot and some oil resources and I, I, but realistically the country is in shambles it's mm-hmm. and it will be for decades yeah. to come and, and on top of that we've had a lot of skin in the game in the region for two decades now we don't want another conflict and i the thought of having a large scale ground invasion of a country that is already torn to pieces trying to depose another dictator who now has the backing of russia and the iranians that that's not feasible either i i think the response itself and the methods that they use could have been effective if they were more robust if you had targeted the chemical weapons facilities that you knew about, and then actual parts of the Syrian regime, who you most likely know where they're located, send a real message that this is not going to be tolerated anymore. anymore. Completely dismantle their command and control structure there's no reason that this should be happening anymore
2: the danger with that though and is that you slowly get yourself pulled into this mission creep Where is it about chemical weapons or is it about removing the regime that used those weapons because i think what you're suggesting is that regime itself because it was it would resort to those weapons needs to be punished or removed so where do you stop where do you stop and say okay that's enough for chemical weapons or do we remove the regime itself you know, you get pulled in.
1: I think that's where the strategic aspect of it comes yeah. in. There's no reason for us to necessarily be there. If the regime isn't there and there's no strategic value left in the country, the only real thing to do that, I mean, the only value in doing it is getting rid of the regime that would very easily use those weapons and also sending a strong enough statement to the Russians that we're not going to put up with this shit anymore. Sure. And theres if you want to keep doing this, we'll continue to decimate the infrastructure of this country to where it's no longer viable for you to even support this. It,
0: it it feels like we're we're playing this like weird semantic game, though, right? Because yeah. you're talking about how it's important to uphold the norm against chemical weapons and about destroying the you know, all of this matters because of the people, right? Mm-hmm. The reason right. that we're right. upset is because he's using chemical weapons on his on innocent people. So innocent people are dying brutal deaths. That's why we have to do something. But like, it, it, in some weird ways, we're drawing these bizarre lines in which he is brutally massacring his own people right. and or driving them out of the country by the millions and has been doing it for years. Mm-hmm. And so if we're really all that upset about the fact that innocent people, innocent Syrians are being slaughtered by their government, which is, you know, this, this goes back to arguments that came out of World War Two and about, you know, the, the ideas of sovereignty is limited. You have a right to do things within your border, but you don't have a right to kill your own citizens. And and so I, I don't it feels like we we have like picked this very fine detail and we've like where we've planted our flag and we're going to, you know, this is our hill to die on in some ways. And it, it seems bizarre that we've picked this one thing when he has been killing his own people for for years. Well,
2: mm-hmm. And to run with that theme, if this is all about the Syrian people and the oppression that they've suffered, then we should also be welcoming these individuals into the United right. States. Oh, yeah, let's not go crazy. <laughs> right. Hang so, on a second. Right, so some data here. <laughs> in 2016, the United States brought in 15, over fifteen thousand Syrian refugees. Do you know what the number for twenty eighteen is? Twenty.
1: Twenty two.
0: Phil? I saw I, I know it's like it's like twelve or something. Eleven. Right? 11. <laughs> oh, During, oh, so man.
2: So here's the other thing. You're carrying out this attack to saying it's awful what you're doing to the Syrian people, but they can't come here, right? I mean so there's a there's an irony of hypocrisy to all of that where it – not quite sure what it was about maybe it's it's certainly a domestic politics thing so trump is going to everybody rallies around the flag everybody's happy you know bipartisan way that we did something but it may, if it's more for domestic reaction than it is an international reaction it's problematic the other thing to think about so is you know talking about norms uh so after the attack both russia and iran came out and said the united states has violated international law and my first reaction was that like uh oh, whatever sour grapes they're angry about this but then I've read some thoughts on this, and there really isn't a good legal justification for what the United States did. So they asked Mattis about it, Defense Secretary Mattis, and he said Article Two, Article Two, you know, uh, Commander in Chief. But that's not really a legal justification. Right. Uh, they're not. They're not pointing to the authorization for the uh, for the use of military force. The one after 9/11. There's no international. Even the chemical weapons. Uh, convention says that you first have to have inspectors in. You have to have the OPCW. So, so in some ways, there's no real. We're violating a legal norm of sovereignty in the pursuit of defending another legal norm, which is
1: not to use chemical weapons. I mean, that's implying that it's still a sovereign state at this point. It's well, realistically it a mishmash of militias and a a, a, a failed regime that does not have control of its own country it's not Somalia though I mean Assad controls I think at this point (laughs) Somalia is a little bit more stable than Syria (laughs) no I think I think Assad has more control than Somalia yeah but it's tyrannical control over again what used to be a sovereign country right that's that's fair yeah but uh, uh,
0: from a from a legal standpoint that that's interesting that you were because Russia and Iran are operating there and bombing things but they're operating at the invitation of the Syrian government right um yeah I don't know. It's, I mean, there's certainly all sorts of argument human like an in international law. You could make claims about human rights and all sorts of other things that could potentially. But all of those also should, you know, in theory, go through the international community in, right. in some way, I guess.
2: Well, it's <laughs> you know, to go after Iran or I guess Russia in particular. So the OPCW, the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, is the one that's in there looking at this supposedly testing. And Russia apparently wouldn't let him into certain areas today. So yeah, I mean, Russia, they're playing a terrible game as well. Did,
0: do you, do you know did we uh, so last time we did this we gave Russia a heads up um we, we, in a, in an attempt to make sure that we didn't kill Russians it didn't, I, I'm under the impression did we do that again this time we did and we said well, I, I don't know if we we I don't know if we told where we're
2: going to attack but apparently we gave them the flying lanes that's not the right term for it but where our planes were going to be going so that they knew they could stay out of the way because that could have been a major incident Mm -hmm. Uh, and in some ways the what develops out of this might not be so much dealing with Assad and chemical weapons but Russia will find some way of responding I mean they will do something nefarious whether it's a cyber attack or more apparently the the bots and the trolls were fired up soon after the attack they're engaging you know Iran might do something through Hezbollah.
1: So there's going to be some reprisal to the United States. Well, I mean, the fact that they're saying that it was a, a conspiracy and the UK actually committed the, the chemical right. attack, they just sound ludicrous. Yes, it's They're completely out of control. And if you want to talk about sovereignty, how come nobody talks about Ukraine anymore? It's not even brought up. It's just old kind news. of... Old right, news. It's old <laughs> it news. The fact that we're even talking about the Crimea rights of a sovereign River. state, and that doesn't even get one it doesn't get yeah. one mention in the media at this point it's ridiculous yeah do you know that I, uh so crimea when you
2: go to google maps in the united states crimea the, there's still a dotted line suggesting that it is still part of ukraine but when you go to google maps in russia they have now filled in the line suggesting that it's part of russia so google no is google. weighing in on international That's politics
1: stupid yeah google. stupid google <laughs> google <laughs> um
0: uh can I, I, I want to talk uh, while we're on the subject about this in a slightly different angle in which uh, we we have in the past talked about the importance of consistency in foreign policy. Yes. And one of the things that I think was more disturbing to me about the way the last two weeks played out with the Trump administration was the kind of bizarre back and forth in which, you know, a week and a half ago we announced we were going to withdraw our troops from Syria and then Trump came out with at some point. I, I'm not. Dumb, I'm not immediately necessarily. And then. He said, then he announced ahead of time that we were going to strike Syria. You don't like just to announce that in so many ways is strategically bad and puts troops in danger and all sorts of other stuff. But then he followed it up with a, "We'll tr- we'll attack them. Who knows when it might be tomorrow. It might be later. And just this, uh, this weird back and forth that, that reveals what we have talked about, that there's not really a consistent Trump foreign policy. Um. And that, I, you know, having a, a foreign policy that reacts is potentially good. When when something happens, when Syria, you know, maybe we were planning to withdraw troops and then Syria uses chemical weapons, the ability to change directions, I, I think, is good. You want that. Um, but it feels like there's that we've, you know, Trump as a reflex machine. Yeah. That's what this I, whole thing felt like. Yeah, exactly. And, If you're a foreign power trying to interpret, trying to predict, trying to make foreign policy in response to the U.S., I'm just I'm just really troubled by the way this all played out.
1: I, I think there I think there is a a consistency to his strategy in the sense that he listens to the last person in the room or the last news report he saw. I'm sure that. He was very invested in getting people out of Syria, getting troops out of Syria before he saw the coverage of the chemical attack. I'm sure he was equally as convinced to get troops out of Syria before he talked to Emmanuel Macron of France, who Mm -hmm. told him not to do that. It's these one off conversations that you have with heads of state or news coverage or something like that. And if you it, it, it's disturbing in the sense that if you find the right cadence of when to say those things or to show those bits of information, he's extremely malleable. And yeah. what I, I mean, that's that's more frightening than anything. I think.
2: It's got to be frustrating for those individuals in the National Security Council, the State Department. We, before we went on air, we were talking about Nikki Haley uh announcing that we're going to put additional sanctions on russia and then later today they walked that back and said oh i guess there was some internal miscommunication about that Th- that should never happen in a presidential administration those things should be worked out well in advance and they should all have the same message and same talking points so it's a, uh, it is an Im- administration that has no clear vision no clear doctrine none of that and it is all ad hoc reactions it's uh, you- troubling
0: you can be too wedded to a, a view, and, and I think that could be the criticism of the Obama regime, in, particularly in terms of Syria and, and whatnot. This idea, uh, you know, he came into office wanting to get out of you know, our Middle Eastern wars, and, and in some ways he wasn't open to yeah. the influence of other people around him. Um, and so you don't want to go too far in the other direction, but it it's nice to have some yes. kind of, you know, some, some core idea that is at least a right. starting point you, you
2: at least go to and say do i still want to use this no i'll i'll shift and right. then there's some logic for that um yeah I and mean, this is this is not going to get better with time because i mean i guess john bolton has more of a coherent uh, foreign policy philosophy but i don't think that's going to matter when you start dealing with trump and all of his reactions so his
1: philosophy yeah. is just bomb them all right right okay right. <laughs> right hey man at least it's a policy <laughs> it is
2: a policy all right we should talk <laughs> beers sure Uh, Phil, do you want to start us off?
0: Sure. Uh, The first beer I had tonight was um, from the Magic Hat Brewing Company in Burlington, Vermont. And it was, uh, the name of the beer is just number nine. Mm. Um, And it is labeled Not Quite Pale Ale. Um, This was interesting. It's described as a sort of dry, crisp, refreshing, not quite pale ale. (laughs) And I feel about this kind of like I feel about James Comey. (laughs) In that I can't decide if I really like it or I don't. <laughs> uh, I think I really liked it. It was, um, it was, you, I kind of think you would like it. Yeah. It was sort of floral and kind of fruity, but not like overwhelming, not like that red stuff you're drinking yes. right now. <laughs> um, I, I want to drink more of those. I, I generally give that a, a positive um, review. And then my second one, because we've been talking long enough, I have a, a, a green monster from Wachusett Brewing Company that's a reference to, uh, um, Finway in Boston um, uh, and it's it's a it's a pale it's an IPA um, and it tastes like an IPA it's good <laughs>
2: <laughs> so Nick and I are enjoying some beers from New Glarus uh, and I couldn't remember I was as before we went on air I was I couldn't remember whether Nick was the person that liked fruity New Belgian beers or didn't and I think we've now we've now determined that. <laughs> yeah. So the first one we had is a uh, Wisconsin Belgian Red, which is a, a cherry beer. Um, and I will say it wasn't so much cherry. It was as if uh, you bit into a like a cran apple.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or you like down some cherry NyQuil. One of yes. the two. Yeah.
2: It was very tart for me. OK. Yeah. Uh, and. <laughs> I didn't really like it a whole lot. No. Uh, okay. No. I, now you haven't opened your second one. I did. I opened Ooh. the second one, which is Serendipity, Sorry, which is a, a a fruit ale. Now I thought for sure I would like that better than the cherry. Oh man, you're gonna do this! I'm right kind as of I wishing open. I had more cherry now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it is also a bit uh, sour, um, <laughs> but in a, a a distinct way. So I, I think these are beers that people either love. Or don't love, and I'm in the group where I just I'm not as big of a fan of these. But these are like crazy popular. People love the New Glarus fruity beers, but Mm. but not not the podcast. Oh, yeah, Nick didn't like that either. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) this is why we try them. Yeah, all right, let's go to speed round. We're doing an abbreviated speed round because we did two longer topics. We're just going to hit three uh, fantastic speed round topics. So. All right. Number one is looking at uh, Michael Cohen, the fixer. So, turns out that Michael Cohen is a fixer for more than just Donald Trump. Over the weekend, we learned of Cohen's handiwork uh, for a top GOP fundraiser, Elliot Brody. I don't know. If, I don't know how we say his last name. Uh, he's a prominent backer of President Trump, uh, who stepped down from his Republican National Committee post on Friday after revelations that he arranged for the Cohen arranged for him a one point six million dollars settlement. With a former Playboy model, the donor had impregnated. Ellie Brody just issued a statement on Friday acknowledging that he, quote, had a consensual relationship with the woman who got pregnant. Additionally, we learned that Michael Cohen taped phone conversations with associates, even potentially Donald Trump. Some of these uh, tapes were seized in the FBI raid. There was also a story alleging that Cohen may have, in fact, taken a trip to Prague and met with Russian officials. I'm I'm still not sold on that, but it is out there. Uh, A claim that he has vehemently denied. Uh, also, apparently, Trump made an ill-advised call to Cohen on Friday just to see how things are going. Uh, rumor has it the Trump administration is more worried about Cohen. Okay, <laughs> yes, than Mueller. And then just today, uh, a story broke that uh, that you know, so
0: Cohen was in front of. I guess where, he was in court today. What was
2: he in court for?
0: He's trying to argue that the, all the stuff that they see should be protected by attorney-client privilege. Oh, he, right. He's arguing against all the seizure of all of these documents. So in the course of that argument, uh, there is a third client whose name is Mystery not,
2: client. Mystery client who had not been Ooh. revealed and they didn't want First, to reveal it. But Before you go on, yeah.
0: let's point out the man is an attorney with three clients. He yes. only has three clients, yes. one of whom is Donald Trump, who he, used, he was paying <laughs> off Stormy Daniels, the other of which is a Republican donor who paid $1.6 million for a Playboy model to get an abortion. And then yes. the judge wants to know who the third one is. That brings <laughs> us to where we, so are. where we
2: are right now. And Cohen's legal team does not want to reveal this. The judge says, you've got to. There's no way around it. And so in court, they say the third mystery client is sean hannity and apparently there were gasps in the in the courtroom they're like oh my god (laughs) so 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 when jake tapper from cnn went on today uh he brought he started with this story and he he commented what happened and then he goes he is my favorite line of the year he turns to the camera and he says go home 2018 you're drunk (laughs) Oh, so, high quality journalism it, yeah. that's really good all right so wait, okay phil talk about cohen well i don't know what, what this is insane
0: it is insane he, he's he's i mean if you his story is one of which he's not he will tell you basically he's not a lawyer yes. right he doesn't actively act as a lawyer he acts essentially as a fixer yeah um and he does these in, in fact if i remember correctly the story that I saw or, or read this last week was that Donald Trump became a familiar with him when there was like an issue in Trump Tower or something, and, and Cohen fixed it for him. <laughs> like, he like basically bullied somebody into coming around to Trump's way of thinking, and, and Trump was like, I like you. And so he hired him. OK. So he, he does provide legal services, but he's not like this is not a guy who is a major you know New York law firm you know, a partner who's doing the legal work for, for Donald Trump, he's, right. if we go back to the Comey description of this as a, um, a, of, uh, the, the Trump family yeah. as, the know, mob, like family. Yeah. Like a mob. Yeah. I mean, he's like the, you know, he's the
1: consigliere,
0: whatever, right? He's the
1: attorney, <laughs> but he's doing Family's the, family has got a lot of buffers. But do you,
2: I don't know this legal, <laughs> or the legal c- call on this, but do, do you get attorney client privilege? If you're not really a lawyer, you're just a fixer. I mean, if you're talking about legal matters, then the attorney-client privilege is relevant. If Cohen is just fixing stuff, that seems to be very non-lawyer behavior. Is that a behavior. Technical
1: term, though? <laughs> Were there payments that, made? Were there legal payments made to him as an that, attorney? I'm sure, that's yeah. That's the question before
0: the court today. I think that's part of what the court is having to figure out of whether or not attorney-client privilege protects this stuff. Is about whether he was actually acting as an attorney. Was he performing legal services, or was he performing non-legal services? I, I can I can arrange a you know a one hundred thirty thousand dollars payment to a porn star. I don't have to have a legal degree for that. And so that's where I think the question that's come up about how much of this is protected by attorney-client privilege comes sure. into play. Mm-hmm. The fascinating thing again <laughs> is that what. The the circle like the the connections are bizarre. The fact that Sean Hannity is yes, caught up in this yes. now um, and Sean Hannity has denied that he yeah, or has yeah. argued that that he. Yeah. And I guess he said in one thing, I might have given him 10 bucks at one point <laughs> to say I want attorney client privilege on this. But it brings into question about what is so what we know about Michael Co- Cohen's um legal career, is that he pays off women in sex scandals, right? right? Um, He makes problems go away. And so the fact that Sean Hannity is now involved in this is really kind of bizarre. And it brings up All sorts of, you know, the fact that I'm about to say ethical problems (laughs) in the midst of this, the the life we live is, you know, I know kind of silly. But from a media perspective, the fact that Sean Hannity has been ranting and raving about the attacks on or the the raid on Michael Cohen and on attorney client privilege brings up all sorts of ethical questions about conflict of interest and um, that, you know, we haven't even started to get into yet absolutely nick i talked too much i'm sorry that was was good (laughs) that was good
1: like this is i i it'll be interesting to see what happens i i uh, hannity has such a a squeaky clean image Mm -hmm. regardless of what you think about his politics he's he's a family man there's never been any sort of inkling of impropriety or anything like that uh it'll be really interesting to see what shakes loose with this if there is no attorney-client privilege in this situation which is kind of likely at this point it it could could get really ugly really fast (laughs) And, and i guess hannity tweeted out today
2: that all the deals he did with cohen there was never a third party involved and i think it was to that point to say that hey I'm not paying off uh, Playboy Models. This is just for Cohen's other two clients that Mm -hmm. they're doing that work. Uh, (laughs) It's it's deeply troubling. (laughs) And you're right, Phil, this whole issue of of Hannity as a journalist, even if we argue he's an opinion journalist, he has been attacking Mueller. He's been attacking this whole process. And if he has connections to Cohen, he's deeply compromised. And, again, that's not surprising in this era of opinion journalism, but it's a little more troubling that he couldn't even see that.
1: Can this start a thing where they're not considered actual journalists anymore? It should. that would (laughs) be sweet. (laughs) It should. Get rid of all those. The other thing, I know we got to move on, is uh, did you guys see Cohen hanging out with his
2: buddies in New York just on the street smoking cigars? No. Yeah, so it was, no. was it Friday or Saturday, late afternoon, all of this is going down. Cohen's in the news nonstop for it, and he goes down in front of one of, the, one of the hotels down there, and he and like four or five buddies sit out there, and they just smoke cigars, they're kind of slapping each other on the back, while there's this whole crowd of people around him. It was, it was surreal. It was hey, weird, it's just like this Exactly, like, yeah. hey, you know, we're not worried about the judges, hey, we're oh, going to be all right. Hey. <laughs> you know, it's, I don't know, it, it was a... It makes me wonder whether he may not have the best legal mind.
1: There's so, you know. <laughs> not a lot of great any types of minds right now. Oh,
2: all right. Sticking with <laughs> on the legal line of uh, I don't know, thought here, I guess. Our second topic is Scooter Libby. Scooter got a pardon from Trump this week. So U.S. President uh, Donald Trump on Friday pardoned Vice President Dick Cheney's former chief of staff, Louis Scooter Libby. Scooter was convicted in 2007 of lying in investigation of the unmasking of CIA agent Valerie Plame. This was a big story back then. The Libby pardon came just hours after Trump's morning Twitter attack against Comey. The president called out the FBI chief weak and untruth, a weak and untruthful slime ball. Mr. Libby has long maintained his innocence, arguing that his conviction rested on difference, a difference of memories. If I'm ever going to jail, that's going to be my argument. I had I had different memories. President George W. Bush commuted his 30-month prison sentence but refused to give Scooter a full pardon, something that deeply upset his vice president, Dick Cheney. Now, you have to love the irony of Trump pardoning a leaker and liar on literally the same day he attacks James Comey for being a leaking liar slimeball. Is there anything we should read read into this pardon, or is this just President Trump trying to do right and help out a rich guy named Scooter?
1: (laughs) I came out of left field. I, I, I go you go i, I got nothing. no i
0: i don't i i'm with you i have this caught me so off guard I don't know like why the hell did this happen where did this where did this come from he's he's not been in the news he doesn't know donald trump like nope. I, I don't like, I I, 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 I feel like like Just
1: trying to piss people off. Well, that point. could be
0: it. And a couple other wrinkles. So you know the whole idea.
2: So he didn't have to serve his prison sentence. He had his uh, law degree taken away, or his what his practice? What no? What are they called? It's not a. It's not a you, he couldn't practice gavel, law. He took, his they right. took his gavel away. Took his gavel away. Did they wear
1: wigs? They don't wear that's wigs.
2: Right. And his ability to vote, both of which have been reinstated. So he can he can now practice law and he can vote. So all this does is, I guess. Pardon him for no real reason. Now, I will say that the Cheney camp has been pushing for this for years. So there's a well-organized campaign. And on on right-wing radio, this has been something that's talked about. But there's a lot of speculation that this is a signal to Manafort and others that, hey... I'm gonna start handing out the pardons. Don't worry about
1: it. My liars and leakers are, are are protected. So you think he's just starting at the periphery and working his way in? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, what what of all
2: the, of all the pardons you could give? I'm gonna
1: go two administrations back <laughs> right. and just start kind of chipping away. It's, it doesn't
2: make sense unless I don't. I don't know. I mean, maybe Dershowitz or somebody was making the argument and, and convinced him of this. But I, I think so. They they interviewed Valerie Plame about this and. Of course, she thought it was a terrible idea, but her point was this has nothing to do with my case or Scooter Libby. This is about sending a signal to others that they should be that they, they will be protected. Right again, to go back to the Bob reference, this is Trump suggesting that he's going to take care of the family.
1: So you think it's far enough away to where there's no direct correlation with him, but yeah. it's a good signal to them to keep their fucking mouth shut. Right, exactly.
2: Because mm-hmm. yeah, that's I guess we didn't add this. Uh, that's what Libby did. So there are some that believe that Dick, so the long story short here is that Dick Cheney likely told Scooter Libby to out Valerie Plame as a way to punish her husband who went to uh, went to Iraq and didn't find any chemicals or wep- weapons of mass destruction, wrote an article about this. So Libby kept his mouth shut, didn't say that, you know, Dick Cheney told me to do this. So one interpretation is that I reward, you know, Scooter Libby, I'll reward, you know, Manafort and
0: others in the future. <laughs> mm-hmm. Keep your mouth shut, and in 15 years, some new president will <laughs> pardon right. you. I don't know. It's so, so like, it's, it's so random. It's bizarre. It is so random that I, I there there is the the one explanation, which is that you know how do you explain this? Well, it must be intentional because he's trying to send a signal. There's another explanation, which would be more in line with the other stuff we've been saying, which is that Donald Trump is a reflex machine and the last person he talks to has an impact on him. So I could totally see someone, you know, whoever somebody in, you know, Dick Cheney or whoever has lunch with him and says, you should do this. And Trump says, yeah, seems like a good guy. I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, Um, Yeah. That's, I mean, that's either the insanity or the beauty, the brilliance of Trump, right? That if he is sending a signal, that he is so like inconsistent about these things that it leaves you wondering: is he intentionally sending a signal, or is he just doing this? Right? The brilliance of him. He's so dumb. It's brilliant. I don't. I don't know. It's so out of left field. I just. I I had forgotten that Scooter Libby even existed. Right. Right.
2: And if you think about the two explanations, one, to send a signal to others to keep their mouths shut, the other, that you know somebody just mentioned this to him, I think it's more likely that somebody men- just mentioned it to him. This is something that's being talked about on conservative radio. And and so he said, this. let's do this. But he may have also said, in doing this, the beauty of it is it also does send signals that I will reward somebody who is loyal. And that's the thing. Scooter has the been context, loyal. Yeah. So it may have been, well, I don't really care about Scooter Libby, but I can... You know, I can reward somebody who's been loyal and that's
0: productive for me right now. So I'd like to propose a constitutional amendment that no one named Scooter can be pardoned. <laughs> if you're named Scooter, you should face yeah. the time. It's
1: something else. Though.
2: And anybody named Scooter who goes to jail is in
1: trouble. <laughs> right. I mean, Scooter. So, oh, Scooter's here. Oh, odd. <laughs> I'm sure what you're implying with that. But. <laughs> All right, we can we can wrap that one up 17 <laughs> seconds early. Yeah, I think we can. <laughs> All
2: right, topic number three. I titled this one, What the Hell is Wrong with White People? <laughs> um, so a new Washington Post-ABC poll has Trump's approval rating at 40%, which is the highest he's enjoyed in this uh, ABC poll since his first 100 days in office. His disapproval number is at 56%. The, ra- the racial breakdown is particularly fascinating. His approval rating about, uh, among whites is 53% compared to 16% for Hispanics and 11% for blacks. Uh, now, Trump has been tweeting regularly about a Rasmussen poll showing him at 50%, a rate that he notes, quote, is much higher than President Obama at the same point. What are we to make of these numbers? It appears that white people still really love Trump. In fact, among white rural Americans, his approval rate is at 65 percent, mm-hmm. up from 50 percent in January. Uh, the guy must be doing something right.
0: <laughs> white people love him. <sighs> Discussion. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, so
0: I, I haven't looked at I don't know how this compares. Um,
1: I can tell you right uh, now. <laughs> to,
0: to me, the, the – um, one of the more shocking numbers in there is that eleven percent of African Americans <laughs> think he's doing a good job., uh, but I don't so I know that, you know, in terms of like uh, election numbers, that number would be really high if the Republican got eleven percent of the African American vote. But I don't know about approval ratings, so I don't know yeah, how high that right. is. Um, but it is, yeah, I, the fact that I don't care what demographic it is. the fact that fifty five percent of any group of people think, it's not It's not that you agree with him. I could see how 55% of Americans might agree with his policy yeah. stances. The fact that 55% of people think, I agree with his policy stances, and he is doing a phenomenal <laughs> right. job executing them, <laughs> that's the part that blows my mind. It is
2: stunning. And I think we're – there has always been a racial divide in the country, but Donald Trump seems to have – just really driven a, a wedge in those two different worlds.
1: I don't know about that. You think it's, you think it's always been there? So, yeah. uh, some quick numbers. Uh, roughly the same time period in the Obama administration. Uh, approval ratings uh, by race and uh, ethnicity. Uh, white, uh, 41% approval. Non-white, 70% approval. Black, 91% approval. Hispanic, 62% approval. Hmm. Yeah. 91% yeah. approval at the same time period in the the previous administration.
2: So it's just, it's flipped in in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: I understand what the subtext of this particular thing is that we're discussing. I I just think that's kind of the divide that's always there. And it's dependent on who's in office and what race they happen to be, to some extent. I'm not saying that's the (laughs) determining factor, to some extent. Yeah.
0: The part that I, the, the part that I can't get over, though, I, I totally understand that the partisan divide and but again, there's this question of policies and then there's this question of like effectiveness and yeah. whether they're good at the job. And I like I, if the question were I guess I mean, I guess approval is totally, totally leaves that up to interpretation. But, you know, I, I can see where. I, I you know, it, Barack Obama and Donald Trump, very different policies, also very different in terms of their effectiveness at the job. But I guess I guess, again, they're not asking about effectiveness. They're asking about approval and whether you approve of them.
2: You're also seeing a shift. I mean, I guess it would be interesting to see that the white vote broken down by party as well. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure that also would be telling. But but the rural. Urban divide is pretty significant when you think about his rural white American vote at 65 percent approval. That is that's really, really high, Mm -hmm. uh, especially for Trump, who I think we can agree it's been chaotic. It's hard to say that he's been overly effective. Um, But yeah, he is. It would be a mistake to assume he's he couldn't win re election. I think that mm-hmm. would be, you know, the fact that there's been all the chaos and all the trouble, oh, there's no way he can win re election. That is absolutely wrong. Mm-hmm, uh, right. He could quickly mobilize his voters again, and whoever the Democratic candidate is, he can. Do what he does best and tear him down. I mean, look—he he tore, he's torn Mueller down. He's torn Comey down. Whoever the Democrats throw up at him, he's going to do the same thing to him. He's going to stain
1: this person. He dispatched sixteen other candidates to yeah. win the nomination. Yeah, <laughs> it's—he's—he's he's not going to be easy to take down. No.
2: Um, so and and again, his polls are his numbers are moving up. Forty percent approval rating is not great, but still, it's up from where it was and. Uh, as i look at what's happened things haven't gotten better for trump you know it's been more chaotic he's been lashing out uh other than the tax bill there's been nothing real effective that's been accomplished legislatively but some people are looking at this saying like well done man Mm -hmm.
0: i'm curious uh, sorry i'm curious about the the age breakdown i'm curious to see uh I, i would imagine that there's a dramatic swing in uh, between older voters and younger yes, voters. I, think so. I mean all of this comes down to whether he's reelected or not as is approval ratings matter. Um if if someone's you know at super high approval ratings, you know George Bush post 9/11, they're going to win. But most of the time it comes down to to turnout more than yeah. anything else. And so it's going to matter, you know these these poll these poll numbers do matter. They they do reflect something going on in the population, but in the end, it, it matters whether you know Trump supporters are more fired up or people who mm-hmm. are opposed to it, and that that's where I think getting into the predicting of what's going to happen in 2018 or 2020 is going to get really difficult, yeah. because mm-hmm. I think the all the models, as much crap as they take, they're pretty damn good at predicting who's going to turn out to vote. Um, And I don't I don't know that they're going to hold up in these next two elections in the same way. The Mm -hmm. turnout
2: stuff is really interesting, because I think part of the reason you've seen so much flight among Republicans is they're seeing those turnout numbers are going to be awful for Republicans. And they're going to be just super, super high for Democrats. So I think I mean, I'm guessing that partially explains what's going on with Paul Ryan. He's he's smart. He's savvy. He knows what's going to happen. And uh, he's getting out at a good time.
0: He just wants to spend time with his kids. Bill. Right. He's That's a family right. man. Yes. Just leave him alone. Yes. It's
1: not about politics.
0: Oh. <laughs> somebody I saw somebody pointed out on that that this would be in the if he had if he had won when he ran as vice president, he would be in the middle of his second term Isn't that as crazy as vice president. And the idea that like, oh, I'm done. It's time to go spend time with my family. <laughs> just, oh. like It's just rings so, so hollow when you think about his <laughs> his plans in that sense.
2: The legacy of Paul Ryan is shifted so much, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, what people thought his career path would be and where he is now. It's um, yeah. Startling. Yes, it is. Yeah crazy i can barely talk this beer is so tart I, I,
1: my, my mouth is very tart like collapsing on it's itself very, it's very tart <laughs> it's a lot of nyquil in it's one a, sitting yes um well that was that was good that yeah. was the, it's a lot of shit to talk yeah. about yeah yep um if I, you like go <laughs> go ahead i
0: i thought this was going to be a short episode yeah, No. no we, like... always, we always fill the space marker <laughs>
1: <laughs> um if you liked the episode Uh, or you know you want to yell at us or have other people yell at us uh, feel free to follow us on facebook at barstool politics twitter at barstool paul p-o-l uh check the beers that we try on untapped uh you can download that on ios or android and the podcast itself you can find on soundcloud and itunes uh stitcher spreaker uh, google play music and anywhere else you can find a podcast Um, anything else, guys? I like the music. I know. (laughs) Good? Good. We'll see you guys next week, then. Cheers. Cheers.